Our church, you may be seated in God's presence and while you're sitting, as many of you want to join the Logos team, please get in touch with uh, Pastor Francis or Brother Marcus. The Logos team will be very happy to welcome you, but come back to church, please. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 65 before we proceed. Psalm 65, verse 3. Psalm 65, verse 3. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't it so blessed that when there is iniquities prevailing, there is already an atonement provided for you and I. Amen. And God doesn't stop there. Verse 4. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. Let's thank God once again. For it is not man who has called you into his own courts, but it is the God Most High who has chosen you and I who has drawn you and I into his courts today to fill you and I with his goodness. Father, what an awesome privilege it is to come to you, O Lord God, the most holy one, the God most high, that when iniquities prevail against us, Father, you, have, you are a God who has provided atonement for us on the cross. And you have called us to yourself, O Lord God, that we may behold the beauty of you, that we may behold your goodness in your house, O Lord God. Father, what a privilege it is once again, O God. Lord, as you minister to us, Father, shape our hearts, transform our hearts to what you want it to be. Have your way in our midst, O Lord God. Father, silence my lips and let your voice be heard, O God. Father, let our meditations be sweet in your sight, O God, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, blessed Father, once again, for it's in Jesus' mighty name that we have asked and we have prayed. Amen and amen. See, last week, Brother Shashi, I believe it was, who sent a message about uh, AI. Uh, there, was a, there was an article where there was, AI was preaching in church, and there were 300 gathered. Mm -hmm. Well, today you don't have AI here. You have natural foolishness. First Corinthians 1. What does it say? First Corinthians 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Amen. Verse 21. 
for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God. How? Through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Amen. The simplicity of God's love shown in Christ on the cross. That is what is able to sustain yours and my life in him. There is nothing else. Amen. However, we will be looking at the topic which is which God had laid in my heart from Bethel to Bethel a call to fellowship uh, it would be a two or three part message as the Lord leads but it is about how God calls his own from a place if you if you observe the life of Jacob God calls him, but then he goes to many places and then God brings him back. And yours and my life, I don't think it's so far different. There are times that, that after God calls us, that we are forced into various situations in our life. And yet, how God holds you and I and how God woos us to fellowship with him. That's what I believe the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to from his scripture in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, so let's look at Genesis 28. Genesis 28 verse 12. Now the slides are there. Okay. There is a purpose for the slides over there. You will look there after you look into your Bible. Then you will look to the slide. You know why? Because if you don't look like this and look like this, you'll end up looking like this. Right? So let's have some neck exercises today. Right? Let's look to Genesis 28, verse 12. And if you are there, tell your neighbor I'm there. I'm not yet there. Genesis 28, verse 12. Then he dreamed, this is the Bible talking about Jacob, when he is fleeing from Esau, right? And he finds himself in this place, which he really does not know much about. And he's tired for the night, so he goes to sleep, right? Now that's not an excuse for us. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set upon the earth and its top reached to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. 
for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now what is God doing there at Bethel? This is God's call to Jacob at Bethel. What is God doing there? God is renewing his revelation. God is reaffirming his covenant. And God is reassuring of his presence. Reaffirming his covenant. Renewing his revelation. And reassuring Jacob of his presence. Now why is God doing this? Why is God renewing his revelation to Jacob? If you look at how God reveals himself to Abraham, from Genesis 12 to about Genesis 22, when you observe, apart from two chapters, you will see God appearing to Abraham, either in a vision he comes, or he speaks, or you see even Melchizedek coming, you see the angel of God coming. There are multiple visions, multiple instances when God is speaking to Abraham. Right? When it comes to Isaac, you see the frequency reducing a little. Right? You see that in Genesis 26 or so. Genesis 26, uh, God appears to Isaac twice. But in the case of Jacob, for a long period of his life, Jacob has not had an encounter with God. What does, what does God do? Abraham and Isaac, they were, they were accustomed to God. Like when, when Abraham comes, when Abraham is sitting, three men come. And, and Abraham knows that it is God who is speaking. In the same way, Isaac knows that it is God who is speaking. But in the case of Jacob, if you observe, Jacob does not know in the beginning. We'll come back to the next part. God appears to Jacob as the one who's standing above a, what? A ladder, right? What we read, then he dreamed and a ladder was set up, right? But if you look many chapters back, there was a tower that was set up. Anyone remember? Yeah? Not a cell phone tower. This was another form of a tower, right? Men set it up and they wanted to reach the top of the heavens. It was called, the place was called Babel. Right? But here, God sets up a ladder. God wanted to reveal to Jacob in a new way so that Jacob could relate to him. So that Jacob could relate to him. You see in that verse, Genesis 28, 12, then he dreamed, behold, a ladder was set upon the earth and its top reached to heaven. Now, what did people in, in, in Genesis 11 verse 4 say? What did the people of Babel say? Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the 
heavens. See, what men struggled to achieve, what men struggled to achieve, God had to cancel, God had to confuse their plans. They were struggling to build and to reach heaven. God brought it to a platter to Jacob. God brought it to a platter to Jacob. What is your struggle today? What is your struggle today? Are you and I struggling for something that compromises yours and my fellowship with God? The people at Bethel, they were so busy. At Babel, they were so busy. They wanted to build, build, build. And they said, let us make a name for ourselves. But let this tower reach to the top of heavens. But what did God do? Babel was from earth to heaven, but Bethel, it came from heaven to earth. Romans 8 verse 32. Can we open our Bibles to Romans 8 verse 32. What does God provide for us? Romans 8 verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Babel was a struggle. But in Bethel, God provided for Jacob. And if he is able to provide his son for you and I, will he not with him give us all things? What are we striving for today? Wherein we are working apart from God and saying, I need to build this, I need to do this. Whereas God is saying, listen, I have made a way for you. Look to me. I am calling out to you and I today. Amen. The Lord who has established eternal life. You see over there, God stations himself with a definite purpose. The ladder was set up on earth and God stood on top of it in heaven. Now those words, if you see, stationed on earth and top of it in heaven. Both mean, in Hebrew the word means establishment. Which means that God was so purposeful of establishing that ladder on earth... And God was so focused on being on top of it. God stations himself with a definite purpose over that ladder. In the same way, God has a definite purpose for you and I through the cross. Through the cross, it will not move. It will not move. Amen? God's way to him for you and I is through the cross alone. Through knowing the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for yours and my sins. There is no other purpose or no other way that God entertains. And God is so fixed over it that that purpose of what Jesus did on the cross can never be thwarted. No wisdom of the world, no power of man, nothing, nothing can separate you and I from his love 
that was shown on the cross. Amen. And the Lord who has established eternal life through Christ Jesus, he himself is faithful to see it to completion. Amen. Philippians 1 verse 6. Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is why God stations himself above that ladder. So that he himself will complete what he has established. Your purpose, your purpose in Christ, God is faithful. God is faithful to complete. God has that definite purpose for you and me. But that purpose can only be known through Christ. Amen? We know that song, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. Right. John 1 verse 3. Why did God not have anything else? John 1 3. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. You and I are made through him. And it is only through him that you and I can realize his purpose. So why does God renew his revelation to Jacob? So that Jacob could relate to God. Jacob could relate to God. You see, that was a communication channel, a ladder set up in heaven. Angels were ascending and descending on it and God standing on top of it. It was to say, Jacob, listen, heaven is interested in you. Heaven is interested in you. I said that to you. Amen. Hallelujah. What does God do? Not only does he renew his revelation, he reaffirms his covenant. He reaffirms his covenant. Look at Genesis 26 verse 3. Genesis 26 verse 3. God makes or God reaffirms his covenant to whom? To whom? Come on. To whom? Really, look into your Bibles. To whom? To Isaac. 26, Genesis 26 verse 3. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply, as the stars of heaven, I will give to your descendants and all these lands. Sorry, I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is God making a covenant to Isaac when he is going to go into Egypt. And Isaac is, God is telling Isaac, Isaac, please, no visa for you to Egypt. Stay here. And I will bless you here. 
you are not allowed to go. And then he reaffirms his covenant. Now, why is he reaffirming that? Because he gave his covenant first to whom? To Abraham, right? Look at Genesis 13 verse 15. This is God talking to Abraham. And there's something interesting over there. Why is God giving this covenant to Abraham there? For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. You see, the reaffirmation of God's covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob is because of the obedience of Abraham. Obedience of Abraham. If you look at Genesis 26 verse 5, Genesis 26 verse 5, why does God reaffirm his covenant with Isaac? Look at verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Tells us something. That my obedience to the word of God, what does it have an impact? It has an impact beyond my generation. Amen? I don't know how many of us are interested in the next generation. I don't hear an amen. Amen? amen? It is, God does not limit his faithfulness to you and I. It is, it has an impact beyond generations. But how much time am I spending to realize that call? God had a call over Abraham. And God, once he, and Abraham, once he realized his call, it looked as if nothing else mattered so much just as we sang. Nothing else matters. Nothing else will ever do. I mean, is that what we really mean when we sing it? What is the first thought in your mind after leaving church? Huh? Oh, I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to do this. Right. But those are things that need to be sidelined. Abraham, he spends time with God. I mean, it's always very interesting to note, Abraham dwelt in tents, but built altars. What was permanent for him was the altar. It was not his farmhouse and the second house and that house. No. The permanency for him was the altar. Anywhere I go, this altar should not be disturbed. My tent, storm can come, anything can go. But the altar, that is significant for me. And when Abram attached that kind of an importance of a relationship with God, God was faithful not to limit it to himself, but to generations beyond. How much am I sensitive to the need of my generation beyond and to the call of God over my life? I'm asking myself. I hope you do that for yourself as well.
Obedience is what establishes the disciples' foundation in Christ. I'm not talking about the follower, but for a disciple. Matthew 7, 24, 25, we see two sets of people, right? What are they? Wise man and foolish man? We sing that in Friday school, no? Wise man built up his house on the rock. They, both of them did two things common. What was that? Both heard and both built. Both heard, both built. But only one, the work of both was evident as well. You had two good houses over there. Right? But it is only one's work was established. And why was it? It was because it was founded on obedience. Obedience has a price. But obedience has a lasting effect. Obedience is not easy. It's never easy. Because the first thing that you will have to disobey is yourself. Then comes everything else. Obedience is not easy. But then God attaches a value to that obedience. And it has an impact beyond you and I. Amen? So God reaffirms his covenant to Isaac and to Jacob. But why does God give Abram that covenant? Look at what happened in Bethel in Genesis 13. Why does God give that covenant to Abraham in Bethel? And about Bethel. You see an interesting, uh, uh, interesting incident over there. Who are the two people in Bethel over there at that point of time? Genesis 13. Abraham and lot of people. Come on. Abraham and Lot is there. And what does Abraham do when there is a conflict between Abraham's people and Lot's people? What does Abraham say to Lot? Look at verse 8. So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. If you take Muscat, I take Salala. And Lot saw that Salala was good. Right? What does Lot see? What does Lot see over there? And Lot lifted his eyes. Look at verse 10. Lift up your eyes. Let it not go down. Amen. It shall not go down in Jesus' name. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And how was the land like? Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zohar. And what does Lot do that Abraham does not? Lot chose. It's very important for us to note that over there. Lot chose for himself 
all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Look at verse 13. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Blessed is the man who does not walk, sit, stand, pitch his tent. What did we read? Promise of the week. Just a few minutes back. Right? But what was Lot doing over here? He was not able to discern the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And instead, what lured him? Oh, it looks like the garden of the Lord. And by the way, it looks like Egypt as well. Both are good. Sin of Sodom, that we can deal with. Not a big deal. But later, what happened? The man who pitched a tent at the border of Sodom, when you go further chapters down, he had a house inside. But what did, Lot, what did Abram do? When Lot took his choice, Abram let go of his own. Had Lot let go, probably he would have been in Bethel. Probably he would have been in the place of covenant. But God chooses to make his covenant with Abram when he lets go of his own will. When he lets go of his own will. When you let go and when you let God take over, God always sees you and me through. Amen. God is faithful to see you and me through. Even unto generations. The only thing that he cannot act is when you put your hand into what he is doing. When I put my hand into what he is doing and say, God, this car, now I will drive. You sit in the side. God is mindful of what you let go to let God. What does God do? He, he renews his revelation. He reaffirms his covenant. Then he reassures Jacob of his presence. Very interesting how God gives that promise to Jacob. Look at Genesis 24. Let's go back to that verse, not uh, 24 right now. Let's just go back to what God gives us a blank check to Jacob, Genesis 28. Let's just refresh ourselves with that. What did he say? Verse 15. Genesis 28, verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you half the distance wherever, wherever you go and bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. See, to Abraham, God never said, I will be with you. He didn't say that. Instead, he said, Abraham, walk before me. Don't go away from me. Walk before me and be blameless. You will be with me. I will not go wherever you go. 
That's why when Abram goes into Egypt and finds himself in a soup, God appears. Wherever, whenever God, Abraham goes astray, God doesn't appear to Abram. He appears to poor guys like Abimelech and all that in their dream and said, don't touch his wife. Right? But to Abram, God says, you, you have to walk before me. You can't go away from me. With Isaac, God said, this is your boundary. Beyond this, you will not go. But to Jacob, God says, wherever you go, I will be with you. Now, that's not an open check for somebody to go to Canada today. No. <laughs> that's not the thing. No. no, no, no. It is to, uh, to Jacob, why is God giving this, this promise? Notice where, where Jacob was going. Jacob was going where Isaac was forbidden. Genesis 24, verse 5. Genesis 24, verse 5. When, uh, who was that servant of Abraham? Elimelech. He was asked to go bring a bride for Isaac. What does he say? Boss, send the boy also. It's easy to choose a bride when the boy is around. Correct? Right? In, it's no need of online searching and all. Let's take the guide directly with us. And God says, and Abraham says, no, 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 sorry. What does he say? Beware that you do not take my son back there. There was a forbidden place for Isaac. We will know it later why what happens to Jacob in in Haran. We'll see that later. But God and even Abraham did not want Isaac to go to Haran. But when Jacob had to go, look from where he was going. In Genesis 28 verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. Now notice the place he was leaving. Beersheba. Beersheba means the well of seven. Means kind of a well-watered place. And Haran, it means crossroads. It means, it comes from the word parched. You know, we say harab, harab, decaying. Haran comes from that word. A decaying place. Jacob was going from a place of surety, a place of certainty. Beersheba was a place where altars were built. Isaac built altar there. Abraham built altar there. From there, Jacob was going from there to a place which was God-forsaken, if, if I may use that word. Right? God does not appear to Abram in Haran. When he moves out of Haran, God appears. And Jacob was going into such kind of a place. Now God is not surprised at Jacob's move. In the same way, when you and I find ourselves in parched places, when you and I find ourselves in parched places, God has not let sight of you and I. Amen? The one who watches over Israel sleeps at what time? 125? Never sleeps. Never slumbers. Hallelujah. 
His presence, that is why he assures of his presence. Jacob, you are going to go into a parched land. You don't know what is there in store for you there. But I am with you wherever you go. And I'm not going to leave you there, Jacob. Don't think you can build bungalows over there. No, no. I will bring you back to the place of my covenant, to the place of my presence, to the house of God, which I have loaded with goodness. That is where I intend to bring you back, Jacob. So for that, I will be with you. Amen? When life takes you through parched places, when things seem to be drying out, decaying out, God's assurance, look at Psalm 68. Psalm 68 verse 9. You made plentiful rain fall, God. You confirmed your inheritance when it was parched. You confirmed your inheritance when it went through dryness. God's presence is what makes us watered in parched places. God has a purpose for fellowship. When he calls you and I into fellowship, it is so that even in parched places, we will be refreshed. I will be refreshed in his presence. So today, what is keeping you and I from this fellowship? What is keeping you and I from this fellowship? When God gives such an open check to Jacob, how does Jacob respond? Let's look at the response of Jacob. Jacob's response at Bethel. You see, Jacob is not mute to the call of God. He does not switch off his camera. He does not keep his mouth and his mic off. When God calls, Jacob responds. To Jacob, what happens? What does he say? In 28 verse 16. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put in, at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been loose previously. You see, he gets very excited. He even changes the name of the place. This will be called Bethel, but I won't be here. Huh? But this will be called Bethel. Right? But for Jacob, what happens? That which is distant now becomes present. God was distant in the life of Jacob. You see, once he's born to the time that he reaches here, the only time he uses the name of the Lord is to deceive his father. Remember, when he brings the, 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 the meal to, to Isaac, Isaac asks, how did you bring it so fast, my son? He said, the Lord your God brought it for you. That is how deceptive he has been to his father and that is what has been his relationship with God. A very distant God now comes close to him. The God becomes very present to him. We just sang, no? My very present help in time of need. 
That is what God became to Jacob. The God who was so distant, he became very present to him. What else? Jacob, if you remember, he was born out of prayer. Remember, Isaac had to wait 20 years for Jacob to be born. Born out of prayer. But the Bible does not show us how sustained his life was in prayer. See, what, that which is born of prayer needs to be sustained in prayer. Yours and my life, it needs its sustenance in communion with God. Because we are not born of the flesh. You and I are born of above. And if you are not, it's time to ask God, Lord, let me be birthed in you. Let me be birthed in you. I don't know you. There are people telling that if I come to Jesus, I will be saved. I don't know anything about this. I'm not able to figure this out. It's time to ask God in prayer. God, I want to know. I want to know you. And he will reveal. He's so faithful to reveal. So that which is distant in, in Jacob's life becomes present for him. And that which is dread becomes reverence. What does he say? He was afraid in verse 17. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. How awesome is this place. Now, that word afraid and that word awesome, it comes from the Hebrew word irah, which means reverence. It doesn't mean, there is another word. If you look at Genesis 31 verse 53, it's there in the slide. Genesis 31 verse 53, and Jacob swore by the fear of his Father, Isaac. Fear over there, that comes from the word pakat, which means terror. Terror. If you remember in, in Deuteronomy, God says to Israel, wherever you go, I will put the terror of you into every nation that you are going. They will tremble. Now to Jacob, God appeared as Isaac's terror. Now, whether it was true for Isaac, we don't know. But for Jacob, when he saw Isaac praying, he thought, oh God, this is a terrorizing God. But when God appears to him, what kicks in for him is reverence towards God. A fear towards God. You see, that fear of God is something that is essential. A reverence for God. What happens when you have fear for God or fear of God? It needs to be caught and it needs to be taught as well. What does David say in Psalm 34 verse 11? Come little children, listen to me and I will teach you the fear of God. I will teach you the fear of God. The fear of God, what happens? It cleanses us from evil. It causes us to run away from evil. Proverbs 16 verse 6. Proverbs 16 verse 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one 
depart from evil. It's the fear of God that preserves our walk in uprightness. Our righteousness comes from heaven. It is not something that we can attain. But what we can preserve, this righteousness that God has put in us, the fear of God helps us to remain in that righteousness. Amen? Look at 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, Paul is writing this to unbelievers. Are we thinking or are, we, are you saying yes to me? Paul is writing this to believers saying what? Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, in the fear of God. That spirit over there is smallest. The spirit of Rajesh. It's not the Holy Spirit. There is filthiness in the flesh. There is filthiness in my spirit. And how does that get cleansed? So that the Holy Spirit can dwell, can speak, can use me. When I grow in the fear of God. When I learn the fear of God. And that happens. Fear comes from where? From fellowship. Fear comes from fellowship. Fear does not come outside. God does not just impart it. God imparts when you fellowship with him. To show him how holy he is. And that's where we start cleansing ourselves. Amen. So, look at... Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. Fear and terror both are important. Fear and terror both are important. Why should I bother about the terror of God? What does 2 Corinthians 5, 10 say? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body According to what he has done, whether good or bad. Then look at what Paul says. Knowing therefore the terror of God that comes when judgment comes, we persuade men. Knowing that the judgment of God will come upon my extended family members, even upon me if I am not careful, what do I do? I persuade men to turn to Christ. I keep myself from falling into sin. What does the author of Hebrews say? Hebrews 10, 26, 27. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries verse 31 Hebrews 10 verse 31 it is a fearful thing 
to fall into the hands of the living God. I want to dwell on that part in between. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews 10, 29. Hebrews 10, 29. Why is knowing the terror of God important for you and I? Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. Now, trampling the Son of God underfoot, which means the opposite of it you look, it is submission. Submission. How important it is for us to remain submissive to one another, more than that, to the Lord. When you learn submission to the Lord, you will learn submitting to one another much more easily. Counting the blood common. How much do you and I value the price paid for yours and my sins? Remember what Jesus said to that Pharisee named Simon. What did he say? When the woman was washing her feet, he who was forgiven much, loves much. When yours and my love for God is depleting in one way or the other, perhaps when we are walking away from Bethel, I'm not talking about that Bethel, I'm talking about the presence of God, when we stay away from the presence of God and the love of God is growing cold in our heart, remember, I am on the verge of this verse. Counting the blood. Common. Ah, God, he understands me well. This one, he will not regard much. He understands. Jesus and I are cool. That is a talk of ignorance. And the Lord shall deliver us in Jesus' name. Insulting the spirit of grace. You know, in this culture, it's very easy to realize now. Cancel culture. We've heard of that term. Cancel culture. Right? When you don't want someone to, to hear someone, shut it off. Dislike him. Whatever you can do, shut him off your, your channels. Don't reply. Do we do that to the Holy Spirit? Insulting the Spirit of grace. When he speaks, you don't want to hear him. You say, no, 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 Spirit of God, wait. I have something else to do. These are places where we need to examine our life knowing the terror of God. Amen? And the Lord shall help us in Jesus' name. What does Jacob do? The pillow becomes a pillar. Quickly, the last point. The pillow becomes a pillar. What he set his head upon became something very special, something sacrosanct. You see, in that verse, if you see, he finds a stone over there. He, he uses it to sleep. And then when the dream comes, he takes the stone and makes it something very, very important. You will understand that better when you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7.
First Peter chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, first part I'm reading. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. A cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? In foundations, that is the stone based on which everything else is laid. We sang, Jesus, be the center of my life. Right? Didn't we sing that? We were not sleeping, no? No. Jesus, be the center of my life. So let everything of my life be around, ordered around. Ordered around. The cornerstone becomes Precious through faith. Through faith. My faith reveals how precious he is to me. All the stones, all my aspect of life needs to be ordered around the cornerstone. And if that is not the case, then he is not the precious one in my life. There are other things that I hold dear. And thus, he is not in the center. But for Jacob, his response was, this stone has become very precious to me. How precious is he to you? How precious is he to me? You see, that verse comes with a promise. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Now, how did shame come into Eden? Remember how shame came into Eden? When Adam and Eve exercised their self-will. Their will they exercised. Not God's word now. Let's just check how this fruit works for us. Right? And then came shame. But when you make Christ your cornerstone, when you and I build our life around Christ, our self-will gets depleted. He takes hold of it because he becomes precious to you and I. And therefore, you and I can escape shame of life. Amen? Amen? The more I hold on to Jesus as the source of my rest and revelation of God, the more I let go of my own will and the more I escape the deception of the devil. Amen? So, I leave us with some closing thoughts from the response of Jacob. Do I know the God who is very present in my life? Or is he a distant deity? Is he my father's God, not mine? Is he the ones that we call God, but I don't know much about him? Or is he the very present one in your life? And by walking in the fear of God, knowing the terror of God. Am I walking in the fear of God? The early church grew in the fear of God, the Bible says. Am I walking in the fear of God? Or is my conduct, is my conduct numb to the fear of God? How precious is Christ to me? 
Is he my cornerstone? Is he around which every aspect of my life is built around? The Lord shall help us in Jesus' name. I call on pastor to pray for us. Church, the last 40 minutes we've had the message, a call. God's call at Bethel. This message is just a reminder to you. And it's a reassurance that God is with you. The message of today, of this afternoon, is to reassure you that the presence of God go with you wherever you go. God is ready to renew his revelation in your life. He's ready to reaffirm that covenant that has been given to you long time back. Ensure that you make Jesus Christ your cornerstone. Making the pillar of your life. And he will always be there for you in Jesus' name. Let us be on our feet. And I want you to tell God that, Lord, that purpose you have for my life, let it be fulfilled. Renew your revelation in my life. Begin to talk to God. At the beginning of this year, God has revealed many things to you. At the beginning of your life, when you start to understand the left and right, many things have been, have been revealed to you by God. Tell God this is the time, those promises that you have made. It must be fulfilled in the mighty name of Jesus. Those promises, those revelations that have not happened, that you are still expecting from God. Tell God that right now, Lord, renew your revelation in my life. Reaffirm the covenant, the promises that you have made in my life. In the mighty name of Jesus, open your mouth and pray to God that, Lord, every promises that you have promised me, Father, affirm it, confirm it in the mighty name of Jesus. Let it have impact in my life from my generation to generation in the mighty name of Jesus. Speak to God, but while you are speaking to God, tell God that God should fill you with his spirit so that you can continue to obey him. Not just you, from generation to generation, so that that revelation of God shall come to pass in your family, in your life, that God should fill your heart with his Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of God continue to lead you. Let the Spirit of God continue to guide you. Let the Spirit of God establish itself in your heart so that you will have the fear of God as you have heard today in the mighty name of Jesus. God, renew your revelation in my life. God, reaffirm your covenant in my life. The presence of God that you have given unto me, Lord, Father, reassure me. I want to see your presence in my life in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We bless your name. We glorify you, Lord. Every covenant that you have made for us long time back, Father, we want to ask you to renew it in the mighty name of Jesus. Every revelation that you have revealed to us, we pray, Almighty God, that they shall come to pass in the mighty name of Jesus. We want to see your presence in our life, wherever we go. Let our life fulfill your presence in the mighty name of Jesus. Let the way we live our life 
show to the people that you live in us in the mighty name of Jesus. Continue to grant us your Holy Spirit so that we continue to make you our cornerstone in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, everlasting Father. We glorify your holy name. And for your servant that you have used for us today, Father, we ask for more anointing in the mighty name of Jesus. The spirit of your word, the source of your wisdom in his life shall never dry up in the mighty name of Jesus. Bless him, bless his family, bless the work of his hand so that we can see, we can hear more from him in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we pray, almighty God, at this point, we remember those people that have traveled. Lord, that you will continue to be with them in Jesus' name. And as many that are planning to travel this week, that God Almighty will go ahead of you in the mighty name of Jesus. And when you are returning, you will return with testimony in Jesus' name. And as many as you that will not be traveled, you will be here in Oman, that God Almighty will go ahead of you wherever you go in the mighty name of Jesus. Blessed be your holy name, Lord. Lord, for tomorrow's program, from the morning till evening, take control in Jesus' name. Excellent men program, take control in the mighty name of Jesus. Women ministry program, let your presence be felt in the mighty name of Jesus. Blessed be your holy name, Lord. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Shall we share the grace together in fellowship? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, God's goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Please let us exit through my left.